Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Would you join me as we continue to pray as we worship? Living God, we ask that you help us so now to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, and that understanding we may believe, and believing that we may follow in all your faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do, through Christ Jesus our Lord, amen. When I was starting up my freshman year in high school, I wanted to really find a place where I could belong. Um, I hadn't been part of any official group, um, even up to that point. So I thought to myself, what could I join in freshman year? And after much deliberation, not really, I decided to um, try out for soccer. Um, our, I went to high school in Parsippany, New Jersey, and our town uh, soccer program was pretty good in terms of the high school average year. I think they, at least back in my days, we had anywhere from like 60 to 90 kids try out or join the team. They had freshmen, um, JV team, and varsity team. But here I was, uh, someone who never, I mean, maybe I kicked around here and there, but I never really played soccer. Um, and it wasn't a pretty scene. Um, but there are a couple of things that you had to do to make the team. It wasn't really a high bar, but it was still something that you had to meet up. Um, a week before school started, you got to come to a week-long practice from like 9 to 12.30. And each day, um, you had to do anywhere from three to five-mile run. The coach would bring this college student who was a runner, and he would just, whether it was before uh, official practice or after all the drills, he'll take us around the town and make us run through the woods, through the streets. And every year, we always had kids throwing up. Every year, we had kids who quit after a couple of days. That's also when I started running. Um, those of us who are running in the half marathon training, it helps me reminisce back to those days uh, with fond memories. Uh, maybe not. But still, makes me think about those things. But uh, there are always requirements. And after making the cut, or not quitting, basically, if you stay with it, as long as you come to the practice every day after school, from like 2.30 to 5.30, you get to stay on the team. Now. Um, I started a uh, freshman team, 
and my uh, journey in JV team was long, and my senior year, I got to be officially part of the varsity team, but I kept that bench nice and warm, and they put me in for the last three minutes or five minutes if they were really up or if they were really down, it didn't really matter. Uh, but they didn't kick me off the team just because um, I was able to at least meet that basic sub uh, requirement. All of us are part of something, whether an organization, a club, a business that you are working with or for, and each organization has a, a, an aim, a value, they have a certain purpose that they're striving after. And you know, whether you're joining a service club or an athletic team, you, you have a standard, you have an expectation to fulfill. And when you fail to meet those expectations, they will, and as long as you are a hindrance, they'll ask you to leave. Sometimes kindly, sometimes not so kindly. And maybe you can think about, um, maybe in the past, whether you can go and back to reminisce your high school years or something more recent, um, but you may have heard something like this too from a coach. You know, if you're not going to do it our way, then get off the team. We all long to belong. We all want to be part of something. Whether it's to be just part of a club or a team, or want, wanting to get that raise or climb that ladder, we, we begin to do things that we might not normally do. When God invites us into his family, he also has expectations. He actually has high expectations. And he, he calls us to be the kind of church that gives him glory. Pastor Eugene started the sermon series going through hum, holiness, unity, and maturity. I'll be preaching today on unity, Pastor Eugene, one more next week. But this is a high call that God expects of us Christians. In the th short six verses that Peter read, the first three verses sets up how the means of maintaining the unity that God expects of us as a church. And the last three verses, he explains the basis of such unity. So the first three has to do with, okay, how do we actually maintain this unity that God expects of us as a church? And the last three verses explaining the foundation the basis for that unity. In verse 1, Apostle Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If you read Apostle Paul's letter, when he uses the word therefore, he's making a huge pivot. Whether you're reading through the um, letter to the Romans or letter to the Ephesians or other letters, when he says, therefore, everything that he said before is basically setting up for what he's saying now. In Romans, um, 11 chapters are spent to build a theological foundation. And then he goes to say, therefore, brothers, I urge you, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your body as holy, pleasing sacrifice. Here, after having spent three chapters building up the theological foundation, he goes, therefore, actually the first word is therefore, translation says I therefore, but it's therefore. Therefore, 
he's saying, you know what? I've been teaching you guys in the past three chapters about the plan of salvation, this great, marvelous plan of God that he has for his people that he finished through the person of Jesus Christ, how he secured our redemption, how now we are created into a new community with this relationship with Jesus, how now we have a new identity in Christ, how we have been, how we have participated in the resurrection and the exaltation, and now how we are a new temple. We have this amazing new identity through Christ. Therefore, now live this way. The indicative, the command, excuse me, the indicative, the fact comes before the imperative, the command. There's an order. We have to understand the foundational teaching before we begin to act out. Remember when we went through the um, Exodus, what did God tell? I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And there's a clear assumption, I did this, therefore, now don't have any other gods before me. The call to live out in a certain way is based on what God has finished, what, has, what he has done. And here again, like God always does, I've done this. Now, therefore, live this way. God has already made us one. Now, live as one. God has already granted you the unity. Now, live as one that is. Psychologists would encourage you to kind of, especially if you're competing at a high level, where, like, collegiate level, professional level, they'll um, call you to visualize the end goal. So if you're playing, um, playing golf or you're playing any sport, you're closing your eyes, visualizing the actual movement and fulfilling and scoring, completing, being successful. I could visualize all I want, but I'm not Pele, I'm not you know, Messi, I, I, I don't have any skill, remotely anything close. I can visualize all I want, but and it's not going to lead me to anything close because I don't have it. God is saying, I have done all this. The unity in the spirit is already made and given to you. Now live it. It's what God is calling us to do. It's an amazing reality with the call. He's not saying if you try really hard, you'll get it. If you work really hard in the future, you'll receive it. No, it is there. We have unity in the spirit. This is, in these six verses, Verse 1 is basically the central verse. It sets up everything else. I urge you, therefore, right? Therefore, because of everything I've done, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, of the call. Walk in a manner that is worthy of the call. 
And the rest of the verses explains how we walk in such worthy way. In verses 2 and 3, 4 through 6 explains the basis of that unity, that living. Now, I, I mentioned before, the identity that we need to come back to. Everything that's happening in chapters 1 and 3, 1 through 3, that we have been drawn near to God through the blood of Christ, that we are a new person in Christ, that we are a new covenant temple, that we are made alive to Christ, we're joined in His death and resurrection, we're saved, and we are one in the Spirit. And it's this new identity that is to produce the good works. Some of us are walking during this half marathon because our joints are, you know, in pain. Um, and thinking about walking, it says walk worthily, walk in a worthy manner. Um, in the Bible, when the Bible talks about walking, walking has to do with more of a full like daily conduct, live in this way consistently daily. And actually, if you read the rest of the chapters of Ephesians, the language of walking comes back again and again. Walk this way. Like, for example, the, the section that we read is about walking in unity. And the rest of the chapter 4 has to walk in a unique way. Don't walk like the way that these you know, Gentiles walk. Um, in chapter 5, walk with love. Um, again, continue, walk in the light. Walk in a wise way. Live with this daily conduct that is all-infusing, that reflects God and His character. It's about lifestyle that God is calling us to live, to walk in such way. It's kind of redundant, the calling to which you're called. There's an emphasis that it is God who called. He took the initiative. He's the one who called us. And when we understand that and accept that, we can't help but be humble because it has nothing to do with you or me. It's all God, His initiative, His grace. Even the word church, ekklesia, the ones who are called out, requires the one who's calling. And it grounds us in understanding there is a caller and we have been called. Four times, again, this language of call, calling, reminds us that we become part in this relationship with the Creator God who took the initiative and based on His um, grace that it leads us to humility if we're honest with ourselves. A wise Christian once said the whole Christian life is simply becoming what you are. You already are in Christ. Entire whole Christian life is about becoming what you are already. This is who you are, and this is how you are to live. Living up to who you are. We are to walk in a worthy way, and the word worthy um, has this image, at least originally, in this kind of a scale and balance. Um, so it's used to represent this kind of a equalizing scale image, that we are to equalize our behavior with our identity. Again, chapters 1 through 3 
and the remaining chapters four through six, this is the foundation, this is application. How we are to live is supposed to balance with who we are. The teaching, the indicative is to be the thing that directs the imperative how we are to live. And that we are to walk in a worthy way that matches our identity in Christ. So this is the call, that we are to walk in this way. And how do we do that? How do we walk in a worthy manner? In verse 2 through 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because we are so elevated by the finished work of Jesus Christ, we've been raised high, we've been deemed high, lifted up, because of the finished work of the cross, now because we know who we are in Christ, we can be humble. When we are insecure with our identity, we can't be humble. But God is teaching us, hey, you are a child of God. I called you by name. I have redeemed you. You've been crucified and been raised up. You have joined a new body. Because of that, now you can be humble. The high position demands a humble walk. And that's what we see in the person of Jesus Christ. Though he was, he humbled himself. You go from humility to gentleness, also can be translated as meekness. From gentleness, meekness to patience and long-suffering. From patience, long-suffering, to bearing with one another in love. And this, with the unity of the Spirit, maintaining the unity, eagerly working hard to maintain the unity of the Spirit, bond of peace, which God has already established. God calls us not to a private, personal relationship, but always into a corporate body relationship. All these qualities that we just read, they, they can only be exercised when we bump into each other, when we interact, when there is conflict, when we do life together. Not by me, only with God. As we interact, as we are growing and maturing. So you have humility, this self-emptying, our ability to not be interested and absorb in myself, my interest, my cause, my success, my reputation, but being able to lay it down. It's also connected with um, gentleness or often also translated as meekness. So humility and meekness, they go together. Um, Lloyd-Jones said to be meek or to be gentle means you have finished with yourself altogether, meaning you're not important anymore because you don't have to prove that you are significant because God has already established that for you. And from humility and gentleness to patience, 
We get angry when we interact with people, and sometimes to the extent that we experience rage, bitterness, slander, and even a spirit of vengeance. Throughout the Bible, God is described as long-suffering, patient, slow to anger. And next one, bearing one another in love. This is like an aspect of suffering, excuse me, aspect of patience with suffering involved. When we experience uncharitable conduct by fellow Christians, are we able to bear one another in love? Are we eager in all of that building up, eager to maintain this unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, which God has already established? Uh, Unity and peace has already been established through Jesus Christ. When I am finding myself being impatient, um, not bearing another uh, suffering in that way, when I find myself not being gentle, but instead being sharp, caustic, um, I, I have to stop. Um, I have to go back because that means the first three chapters, what God has finished, is not soaking and sinking deep. This week, um, as I was preparing the message, you know, different things happened. And one other thing that I really felt more convicted yesterday, as I was reflecting back, it's like there were many incidents, but especially there was one incident with, with some church uh, people that I, I felt like, you know what, Paul, you, you could have been much more humble. You could have been, you should have been more gentle. You should have been more patient. And I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I should have. Um, just because... I thought I didn't have to be, or it was okay not to be in some way. I permitted myself to be a lot more direct than I could have been. I was not gentle with this one individual. Um, and it's just, uh, it's just been reminding me to go back. It's like, what's not right in my relationship, in my understanding of what Jesus has done? Why was I so prideful, so self-righteous in some way to talk with this person this way in this manner? Maybe the content was okay, but the, the tone and my and everything else that was communicating was not being gentle was not being patient. I was not bearing the other person in love. Do you find yourself in such place? We are to work hard to maintain this unity, that this true unity that the Holy Spirit has already made possible. It's already there for us. Now, if you're living back in the time of Ephesians here, the letter in which it's written, people, if you're a Jew or a Gentile, you're thinking, you know, there are all these different things. Um, 
that separates them. But Apostle Paul is saying, you know what? You're already one because of the Holy Spirit that has united both of your groups together. The call to unity is actualizing what's already there. Maybe you find yourself getting angry. The Lord invites you to work on and requires work on patience. Maybe you too, like me, find yourself at times being prideful. Maybe the Lord invites you, challenges you, charges you as he has been charging me to work on humility. Maybe you have been a little bit bullish, rough, sharper than you had to. We need to work on what it means to be gentle, as Christ was. Maybe in your impatience, you haven't been so tolerant of the shortcomings of others. You haven't been bearing one another in love as I have also this week. Looking to Christ. And as the intention of the sermon series and the focus of the passage is, maybe you haven't been seeking, working hard to maintain the unity of the church. How do we prioritize that? How do we seek that for his glory, not ours? Got to go back to the gospel identity. Got to go back to the gospel identity of the first three chapters. What God did, who we are in Christ, how he has raised us up. And because of that, how he calls us to humble ourselves and be meek, be patient, not seek my self-interest, but seek that of the others. So verses 2 and 3 shows us how we are to walk in that manner, worthy manner. Now we get to, what is that based on? A little more concretely. In verse 4, we get to see the, one of the three persons of the Holy Trinity. So it says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Again, the language of calling again. In the next three verses, the, the word one is repeated seven times out of the seven, three to represent each person of the Holy Trinity. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, the God, the Father. God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Father. And here we, we see the point. What is, what is the point? This oneness, unity, 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 unity. That's what he wants. That's what God wants for us. One body here, language, which has been already, we've been incorporated already into this one body through the Holy Spirit. If you're living in this time in Ephesian, um, Ephesus, many Ephesians, the Gentiles, would think there are many spirits. And Apostle Paul is speaking directly. There's only one spirit. The Holy Spirit. And that's who we're confessing our allegiance to. There's one body, one spirit. 
And this, again, emphasis on calling reminds us that it's God's sovereignty that keeps us humble. Jews, uh, at that time, Jewish Christians, um, there were some Jewish Christians who thought to be a good Christian, you had to obey the Mosaic ceremonial laws. But here, so because of that, a lot of times, you know, they didn't think unity was possible. But again, none of that is necessary. We are one body because of one spirit that has given us being and life. And building on that, we move to one Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith, one baptism. If you are living um, abroad during this time, meaning you didn't live in Israel, Palestinian um, um, area, you were a diaspora Jew, and you heard this language, you would be remembering, ah, it sounds really familiar, because this will be one of the confession of Shema, Shema or Israel, that they'll be reciting again, for the Lord is one. But here, if you're a Jew and you are agreeing to this, you're saying, you know what, Jesus is not just uh, you know, a man or a prophet or even an angel. No, he is God himself. And recognizing that. And if you're a Gentile recognizing this statement, you are saying, you know what? Artemis of Ephesus is not the Lord. Everyone else who lives in Ephesus will be agreeing to that. But even though we may live in Ephesus, if you're saying there's only one Lord, then you are saying Artemis is not. Jesus is. And there's one faith. There's this active set of conviction that the Christians confess. Then there's also a set of confession, you know, there's um, this common faith that they're agreeing to. And there, there are things that people believe differently. That's why this is saying there's one faith. And this is one of the intentions that we recite every month. We, we go back and forth between the Nicene Creed as well as the Apostles' Creed to, to come to agree Remind the basic foundational principles of faith that we adhere to, we recognize that we want to like realign and recalibrate ourselves to. Because deviant teachings, as was at that time, also exist today. Unity begins by sharing this common faith, one faith. Paul did not want these. Ephesian Christians who might have been used to worshiping in the temple of Artemis to go back to those temple. He didn't want them to go and, you know, uh, reach out to these spiritual world and magic of the day. He didn't want them to visit the local shamans for spiritual help. No, there's only one God. There's only one faith. Back in 17th century, not so famous theologian, by the name of uh, Rupertus Meldenius said this phrase that you probably have heard, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. Um, he lived in a time of the 30 years war where it was a bloody time of European history uh, where religious tensions played a big, big role. The challenge is, you know, how do we discern what is essential, what is non-essential? Um, but I think one other thing that can be helpful for us is what Martin Lloyd-Jones um, shared a um, long time ago. Can I show this slide? Uh, 
the starting point in considering the question of unity, he says, must always be regeneration and belief of the truth. Nothing else produces unity. And as we have seen clearly, it is impossible apart from this. So, continuing, an appearance or a facade of unity based on anything else and at the expense of these two criteria of which or which ignores them is clearly a fraud and a lie. People are not one, nor in a state of unity, who disagree about fundamental questions as the following. Whether we submit ourselves utterly to reveal truth or rely ultimately upon our reason and human thinking. The, historical, the historic fall, the man's present state and condition in sin, under the wrath of God and in complete helplessness and hopelessness as regards salvation. And third, the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and the utter absolute necessity and soul sufficiency of his substitutionary atoning work for sinners. To get the impression that they are one simply because a common outward organization is not only to mislead the world, which is outside the church, but to be guilty of a lie. There is no unity of the spirit, you could take that down, to maintain without a clear, shared faith. There is no command for unity with those who do not share the same basic element. I think this is hard in our day and age. And with all the things that are happening, they should not be happening worldwide with the violence and terrorism. Um, while we can walk in solidarity in recognizing the full image of God in others, the biblical oneness and unity that the Bible speaks of that is grounded upon the first three chapters cannot be used. We, we cannot say we are one in the same way. Do we share common humanity? Yes. With others of faith, of different world religion? Yes. We're all made in the image of God, but we are not all one. We are not united in the same biblical foundation. And one baptism. The final word that Jesus gave, the Great Commission, therefore go, make disciples. What? Baptizing and teaching. We're baptized into Christ. We share that same baptism. There's only one baptism. Someone might have baptized us, but we are baptized into Christ Jesus. And finally, in verse 6, we go from the Holy Spirit, the oneness of the Spirit, one Lord, one God, the Father of all, declaration in one God that we believe in, the Father who is sovereign, omnipotent, and all present in his creation. This repetition of one, one spirit, one Lord, one God, is really the basis for why we are to be one, why we are to work hard for the unity that's already been established. Because we have a triune God who is one, who did not compromise themselves in any way, but as one, fulfill the salvation plan 
we are to look to that and work to effect that kind of unity as a church, as a body. We are one because there is one Spirit, one Lord, and one Father. I want to ask us, because this is the call for unity is always a challenge, whether 2,000 years ago with the church of Ephesus or today. Back in those days, they thought because there was such a huge divide between the, the Gentiles who had clearly different history, different ethnicity and cultural norms with those who were Jewish Christians, they thought true unity was not possible. But God says, it is already done. Now, live it. You have it in the spirit. Now walk in a way, in this humble way, to make this become a reality. In our interaction with one another as a body of Christ, do you find yourself angry these days? I find myself a little more angrier than I like to see myself. I think there are different reasons involved, but ultimately it just goes back. It's like, am I really grounding myself? Or am I just living in my flesh, in my strength? We can try to be humble. We could try to be patient. We could try to wait patient one another without really getting our true identity in Christ. But that's not what God wants, and that can't really last. And we are to come back to this reality, to walk this way, to maintain the unity of the Spirit, because we have a triune God who is one, who has shown us the way, who has made it already possible and done. Now we have to live up to it. As we continue during this season of Lent, I think a lot of us are doing different things, shifting our patterns so that we're disrupting the norm. And as we are disrupting those patterns of norms that we have been used to and doing things differently, I, I really do pray that we take that intentionality to examine how we are living. Are we committed to pursuing Maintaining the unity that the Holy Spirit has already established for his church. Or is that not a high priority? He already made it possible. He wants us to. He invites us to walk that path, walk that life for his glory. Let's pray.